welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. Uh, my name is Carrie, and I will be joined shortly by my good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy. Hello, Sherry. Welcome. Uh, we are actually doing this on a Thursday night. Normally, we do our Chapter Chat online book club on Monday night, but Mike had to do a presentation, and so we rescheduled for Thursday. So I'm glad that there are a few of you available to join. Let's see. There is Mike. Let me grab him. All right. So I hope you guys are all doing well. Hey, there. Here we are. How's it going? Good. How about yourself? Seeing you on a Thursday. Look at it's, this. It's crazy. I know. I know. I was just telling everybody that normally we do this on Mondays, but you know, we have to be flexible. That's Mental right. flexibility yeah. is a really Something we'll be talking about tonight a little bit. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did all your uh, presentations go? You had a busy week, didn't you? It was awesome. So I did uh, three separate presentations. Wow. Uh, so, so I did introductory presentations like uh, earlier in the month in mm -hmm. uh, October, September, uh, and really had, uh, had no idea that this, I was going to get invited back to do subsequent for That's more great. teachers and for parents and things like that. So it was, uh, sort of just came about. I love and it. I, I reached out and I said, Hey, what time is the training on Monday? What time should <laughs> I be there? And they said 8 PM. And I, and instantly <laughs> the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, uh Oh, what are we going to do? Uh, and, and, and you had, had said, you know, we can take a week off. That's fine. And I thought, I remember I, I had my phone in my hand and I was thinking about it. And I was like, there is no way we can take a week <laughs> off from chapter chat. No way. I don't care how many presentations. Right. I don't care. I don't right. care if you're, if you're traveling, <laughs> we're going to make this happen. And especially, right. and especially when we have a chapter to discuss like this one. This chapter is immense. Uh, Mike and I aren't even sure we'll be able to talk about the entire chapter. It's um, crazy. But before we do get st started, I have to tell you, Mike, yesterday I did my webinar, my brand new webinar called Building Executive Function Skills Through Play-Based Learning. And Love it. It, it was phenomenal. I am so Love tickled. It. So I had about 100 um, early childhood SLPs and educators uh, wow. join me. So it was um, pretty amazing. So I um, am tickled and uh, love talking about executive functions. And uh, this is a, a great chapter. So um, the other thing I want to tell you, Mike, is I met met somebody new on social media. And she is an SLP who is a parent of, I believe she told me two boys with ADHD and she wrote a book. And so I, I ordered it, but I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's called itchy brain, a family's perspective and positive outlook on ADHD. Mm. And she said her son um, is the one who, who describes him as himself as having an itchy brain. And so that's why they called that, that ADHD makes him feel like it's just always itchy. So I can't wait to read uh, the family's book, but that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And we had discussed a few times uh, Linda Murphy's book here on oh, yes. Chapter Chat, the Declarative Language Handbook. Uh, I talk about this a lot in my presentations because mm -hmm. I did a lot of parent presentations. And when I'm giving parents tips on how to build executive functioning in the home or how to you know, deal with ADHD behaviors in the mm -hmm. home, I always want it to be practical and something they can do instantly. Right. So right. two strategies I always use that parents connect with instantly is number one, getting rid of all of the written checklists 
because reading and writing and sparking that nonverbal working memory is really hard for, you know, for parents to build that connection. But okay. teaching, them, teaching them to use declarative, uh, the, so number one, what I was saying was uh, using the real world pictures. So, oh. no, so no longer using the written checklists. So instead of having a checklist saying, brush your teeth or, and uh, eat your breakfast mm -hmm. and then get your backpack and go to the door, mm -hmm. have a picture of him standing next to the door with his backpack on and have a picture of him brushing his teeth in his bathroom instead mm. of a written, in written checklist oh. have a, use a real world picture print it out laminate it hang it up instead of the written checklist because the picture is what sparks the non-verbal working memory and all executive functioning starts with non-verbal working memory so parents do that they do the pictures and they see instant success and they start using declarative language instead of directive language and they instantly see a decrease in dysregulation Isn't uh, that so something? so teaching them those things and and your webinar so your webinar you you did it from here like with all the books like you do it in the same yep, seat right here this nice. is the seat this is the the view that everybody gets when i do my webinars so was it was it for certain ages um yeah this is really for early childhood so uh okay. really for birth to five so really just talking about um uh you know the the how we can support executive function development through play, you know, through what we're doing in the early childhood classroom and our speech therapy sessions. Um, my husband, because he um, is the other half of Carrie Ebert seminar. So he always has to listen, poor guy, to all my seminars because he <laughs> answers questions in the chat and does all that. Takes he would probably be a pretty good SLP by now. He is an honorary <laughs> SLP, no doubt about it. I, I like it. He should just go back and get his degree. But he informed me that this was his favorite course I've ever done. And I've probably wow. done 15 different uh, topics. So he said, far and away, this was his favorite. So Even, even like the apraxia stuff? Oh, yeah. He, he loves the apraxia one, but he said it's really technical. But he really loved this. He said it just and, – and since our son has executive you know, function issues, it just really had hit home with him. So he was mesmerized by it. So That's it was, fascinating. Yeah, 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 and that's what it it's all about. And, and yeah. I saw a great quote the other day, and it, it was so simple and straightforward all learning is play and okay. you think about that every time you gain a new skill every time you're learning something new and you're, you're mm -hmm. taking information and executive functioning is mental play that's really right. all it is you know when right. you're planning prioritizing problem solving you know going from and i had a post today about going from external to internal and right. your, I'm sure your seminar was all about that external play and building mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And then all, ex all executive functioning is play. Play never stops. Right, all, right. All learning is play. Isn't that something? I love yeah. it. Love it, love it, love it. All right. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, the book that we are reading, this is our third book in our new online book club. And it is called Most Likely to Succeed by Tony Wagner and Ted Dintersmith. And we read chapter four this week for you in case you didn't have time or in case you don't have the book. And it is, I don't even, I want to say about 70 pages long. I mean, it oh, was, yeah. it was immense. It was an immense chapter. So we will get through what we can. And if we're not, I think we can kind of, you know, I don't know. We'll see what we can do. I think we can, we can probably do like half of it. And yeah, we can, I think we can we always can. do the next half. We can always do the second half next week. Right, right. Spread so, it out. This chapter was called The Formative Years, K through 12. And the authors explained at the very beginning of the chapter that they really are going to focus on middle school and high school because they feel like, you know, it, it, in a grand scheme of things, 
a lot of elementary schools are doing okay, you know, that, um, I mean, I, you know, so they kind of just don't talk a lot. They talk a little bit, but they don't talk a ton about um, K through uh, grade six, but it was really an interesting overview. And I don't know, did you do a lot of highlighting and I did a ton of highlighting and, and, yeah. and, and you kind of just touched on it, you know, in the very beginning of the chapter, you know, the chapter is called the formative years K to 12 and very, very quickly, they sort of, you know, pretty much put to the side K to six. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're like, okay, this chapter is really going to be about seven to 12. And, right. they, and they talked about Montessori, Waldorf, mm -hmm. Reggio Emilia. And they said, okay, a lot of those schools are, play-based learning mm -hmm. but I think you you know people like you and I people that are in the chapter chat community mm -hmm. I think we see things for what they really are here yeah and yeah. If, if you and I had written this book I think 99% of this chapter would about would would have been about K to yeah, one or even pre-K really. yeah pre-K pre that would have been a, ch yeah. a chapter solely for that so yeah. you know I found something <laughs> here where I disagreed with the authors okay uh, you know not really you know yes Montessori schools are great and they talk about the Wall Street Journal article with all these celebrities that mm -hmm. had that in common with doing the Montessori's and we've talked about Montessori's mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. let's be honest Montessori's are few and far between right and not, they're not every, the norm yeah not the norm and not mm -hmm. everyone can afford Montessori right, uh, right. and and uh, you know I, I have always been of the belief that the core issue is in the early childhood years mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. they kind of brushed right through this yeah and yeah. went and went right into math and English in the later years Absolutely. so so that so that was one area right there where I think the authors could have done a better job yeah I agree um, I think they should have done early childhood and early elementary as one chapter and talk Correct. about the issues because I think what they're really getting at is you know the issues we see in middle school and high school are you know different because you know, we're dealing with older students and they're, you know, we're talking about this whole college prep thing. And so the one thing they nailed though on page 83 is the last sentence on the page that said, our mm -hmm. kids spend their formative years preparing for tests, not for life. And I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, the theme throughout this chapter is basically that, look, what, when it comes to education in this country, instead of um, growing with the times, if you will, instead of becoming more innovative and changing our curriculum, to match um, this uh, information age in which we live, this digital age in which we live, um, they say that, you know, basically education um, has stayed the same. And the three things that are taught in K through 12 primarily are what's been done historically, um, our education system as we know it uh, was started in 1893, and not a lot has changed since 1893. Nope. So they focus on what's been done historically, they focus on high stakes tests, and they focus on college admissions. Those are like the three things that they emphasize over and over in this chapter. Uh, and teaching to the test is something that we've talked about in every book that we've, you know, all the books that we've read in our book club, club so far, um, is that... Um, you know, that, that high stakes testing seems to drive everything in education. Yeah. And, and this chapter really opened my eyes to sort of what's happening in the background here. So the one thing that I, of course, connected with the most, let me try to find it exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was basically saying how, uh, okay. So on page 94, of course I have okay. three, three stars there on page, <laughs> on, on page 94, there uh, we're talking. Uh, so basically, at this point in the in the chapter, 
they're talking about standardized tests and standardized test prep, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're talking about all of these things that are on these standardized tests are now obsolete. And what we really should be doing instead of teaching these obsolete skills mm -hmm. is teaching creative problem, problem solving. solving. Yep. But right yep. here on, the, on, the, uh, on page 94, the, the third paragraph, why are we not doing that? Why are we no longer teaching creating problem so creative problem solving? Because standardized tests can't measure creative problem solving. Right. And this is yep. something I deal with all the time. Yep. being an, S an SLP who specializes in executive functioning. Like even just today, you were texting me about measuring executive functioning, right? Mm -hmm, How do mm -hmm. we measure it? How do we measure it? It's something that we're not taught in grad school and it's right. something that that's not of the norm, right? So, right. so the, 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 these big companies, these Pearsons, this Princeton Review, mm -hmm. all of these big massive test prep, test prep companies are doing everything they can to make sure that Everything that is being taught in schools are things that can actually be measured on measured. a test. Right. And, right. And, and it brings you back to finished lessons mm -hmm. where these kids are not, these students are not having standardized testing until the final year of school. Right. And they're not being uh, forced to do all of the tests throughout because the skills that they're learning throughout are not exactly measurable. They're That's doing, right. pro they're doing project-based learning. They're learning collaboration. They're getting right. mentorship. They're getting counseling. They're doing long-term goal planning. You know, there's not going to be an SAT or an ACT ever made to measure what kids in Finland are doing. Right. So basically at the end of the school year, they have standardized testing to see what their next steps are. But uh, capitalism in this country and the, the big business have gotten mm -hmm. so deep into education now, kids are yeah. being taught obsolete skills. Simply so, big tests like the ACTs, the SATs, mm -hmm. college admissions can still be a big business. And it's right. all at the detriment of our students. So on page 96, and then I have to go back to page 84, but on 96, I have a big star. It says there's an inherent conflict yep. between what's best for our kids and what's best for the organization selling tests, textbooks, and test preparation materials. And I think that's one of the huge issues is um, uh, curriculum and testing is big money. Big money. Okay. So Big money. Yep. who is, is really driving education, you know, is I truly believe it is these big companies. And you go back to a page 84 and it says our education system is plagued by inertia. Lots of it. Multiple constituencies need to buy into change before we could ever have education reform, right? Schools mm. are surrounded by a hardened infrastructure. Public schools adhere to local state and national directives and private schools often carry a legacy of success that inhibits change. So here's what I love so much is they actually give such a valuable real life example. Okay. Is they say, um, so our school's future. Okay. Unfortunately is tied to the past, right? So unfortunately they're looking at the curriculum of the past and the skills student used to need to learn. So they talk about QWERTY, right? Which is Q oh my goodness. Q-W-E-R-T-Y, the layout of a typewriter, okay? And they explained this was introduced in 1873 and here's why. Do you guys know why the letters are not in alphabetical order? 
Do you want to know why? Like, this blows my mind. They did it intentionally um, in order to purposefully slow down typewriters to avoid mechanical jams. And our education model has a hard time moving past its 19th century roots. So when I think of education now, I am always going to think of yeah. the, the, the typewriter, you know, yeah. the, the keyboard and why it is laid out in this manner. It was done for a mechanical reason. And so we haven't even been able to move, you know, past that. So on page 84, they talk about, um, you know, all the variation that we have in our schools and then the similarities. And you want to know what the similarities are? Uh, regardless of the, there's over a hundred thousand K through 12 schools in the United States. And I think we would agree no two are alike, right? Absolutely not. But here are the two similarities, what we teach our kids and how we teach and test our kids. Now, why is that exactly the same, regardless of what, you know, what, 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 what school we're, we're dealing with, what city we're in, whether it's rural or, you know, it's so interesting that we have this common core idea that everybody's going to learn the exact same thing and we're going to do it in the exact same way so that there's no variability. We're not going to teach to strengths. We're not going to teach to interests. It's so fascinating and so disheartening, honestly. I mean, reading this chapter was, it just reminds me, you know, that we are stuck, that we are, we have plateaued in education. And if anything, we're going the wrong direction. So on page 84, when they say there are more than 100,000 K to 12 schools in the United States, no two are alike, nor should they be. Yep. Do we agree with that? Because <laughs> we're trying to make them all the same, aren't we? But but the thing, but remember in Finland, it doesn't uh -huh. matter oh. what school, what, you know what I'm no, saying? That's a really good so, point. So when I read that, I thought to myself, whoa, maybe because we do. So in Finland, See? but what's different is in Finland, the teachers do not have a common core. Um, they get to pick their own curriculum and they get to yes. teach based on. So, but what's different is in Finland, there is no such thing as school choice because every school in Finland is as good as the next school. They're within it's, 6% yes. um, of, you know, uh, the same quality, if you will, same test scores, all of that. And so here in the United States, we know that families often uproot and move so that they can be in a better school district. So I can find a better school um, for my child. And so, um, you know, I think we need the quality to be the same, but I think we need to also make sure that we are teaching to students strengths, which are going to be different, you know, Correct. from class to class, from year to year. We know that teachers have different teaching styles. And when we use something like a common core where, you know, teachers are not allowed to deviate uh, from the curriculum in any way, shape or form, I think it's pretty hard to, uh, think about um, growing um, students into, you know, budding, enthusiastic learners uh, because so much of what they're learning is irrelevant to their day-to-day -day life. Well, all of that happens when we put the power in the hands of the teachers. Mm -hmm. The Common Core was created by politicians, mm -hmm. and it, mm -hmm. it was a political push. There were some educators involved in creating it, yes, but it was a political push. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I read that, of course, no two schools are alike, nor should they be. Yes, we don't want schools to be alike because they should be run by the individual teachers mm -hmm. based on individual strengths and the students they serve. But one goal we should have is for equality. more similarity and more equality amongst our schools. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I think the authors of this book can maybe take a, a bit of a closer look to at finish lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of these chapter chats are, are us reading these book books and getting very passionate about mm -hmm. what they write and what we read. 
there were a few things in this chapter, like them saying a lot of K schools are doing the right thing mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. schools shouldn't be alike. There were a couple of things here I read and I said, hey, I, I'm not sure if I agree with these guys. Right, right. But, you know, right. When, when we dig deeper into math and yeah. English and the actual common core mm -hmm. of what's being pushed and these ridiculous skills that are no longer needed. Yep. Yes, could, could not agree more. Right, right. So they talk about um, on page 87, and I think we all agree with this. Um, young adults in our country who struggle to read, write, or perform simple math operations. And I love that they don't hold any, they don't, you know, they just say it. They're screwed is what it says. That if you can't, you know, read, write, and do basic math, you're screwed in this country. They're of little interest to employers, and jobs will be increasingly hard for them to land and to hold, uh, to hold right? Um, so... Um, he says there's, there's a reason why grades 7 through 12 focus primarily on math and verbal performance. So we know that those basic skills are absolutely essential to success. But they go on to say the other issue is that um, for college admissions, right? What are they yeah. looking for? They're looking for calculus. Like you can't even hardly get into college if you haven't had calculus. They don't care like what your interests are. If you haven't had calculus, they, they're, they're just not you know, interested in that. And I'm so grateful after reading this chapter. I, I, I think about this often. I'm grateful that I'm as old as I am and that I went to grad school when I did, because I'm pretty sure yes. I wouldn't even get into college today, let alone grad school. And so it just breaks my heart to think about all of these students who are going to be pushed aside because they're not 4.0, you know, get a 30 on the ACT, take calculus and do all these things um, that really, um, and they say on page 88, um, Finally, we'll make the case in this chapter that the biggest price we pay for an obsolete education curriculum is what our kids don't have time to learn. I couldn't oh love my. that more. It's what they're um, not learning because they're rote memorizing facts that can be easily looked up on your smartphone. We don't, I mean, they, they talk about it somewhere in this chapter, and I'm kind of jumping out of order, that it used to be that the teacher was the person who conveyed information, that yep. nobody else could do it, that a teacher's job was to tell you the facts so that you could memorize them, so that you could know them. But now we have smartphones, okay? We're talking about before there were even encyclopedias. Teachers were the only way to transfer knowledge um, uh, from you know, uh, uh, one generation to another. It basically had to be taught that way. And so rote memorization was a really important skill. In today's era, why does it matter if you know all the state capitals? Let's look, do you remember learning yeah. state capitals? Like oh, I remember, yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. that was, we spent and tons of time on it. And to this yep. day, I don't know them all. I mean, I know a lot of them, but I mean, I can't remember them all because it's not information that I use on a daily basis. It really doesn't have, and it doesn't play any role in nope. my day-to-day -day working. So, you know, if you don't use information, you tuck it away really far and you, you have a tough time accessing it. But the good thing is we all have a smartphone. I mean, yep. with, and it's usually like, it's like our third appendage now. I mean, we always have it. So if you want to know what the capital of, of Maine is, you can look it up. Like, I, you know, you don't have to spend all this time in school rote memorizing um, because we live in the information age. We live in the digital age. And yet our curriculum has not changed at all since 1893. It's, it's unbelievable. So on, on page 93, they're talking about all the, the nationwide standardized tests from their launch in 1926, multi-billion dollar industries <laughs> grew up around these tests. Multi-billion. Multi-billion. Grew up around these billion. tests. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of people 
making a lot of money off of your kids taking tests right. and your kids being stressed about tests. And let's be and clear about this. These tests now shape how we teach our kids and how we measure their worth. You guys. You want, your, mean, you, you want your son or daughter's worth to be measured by a test? By a standardized so. test written by a, by a multi-billion dollar company that only cares about getting richer, right? So Unbelievable. Um, yeah, Unbelievable. How about this? Okay, when they talk about math, okay, they say our current math curriculum was developed during the, the, the slide rule age, right? Oh, Long yeah. before we even had handheld calculators or anything. But they say a recent survey, are you ready for this? Found that 80% of U.S. adults never use any math beyond decimals, fractions, and percentages. Think about that for a minute. Four I know out I don't. Of Four out of five adults never use math beyond what sixth graders do well. And of those using higher math, this is so fascinating, you guys, blue-collar workers are the most likely to use it for welding, machine tooling, construction, drafting, and repairing. And yet, most of our schools have largely eliminated making things, right? That we don't have shop and sewing. And I think we would all agree those are the most valuable ways to learn. Absolutely. Math, to learn Absolutely. Skills. Can I tell you this? We had new carpet installed on our stairs today. We bought a house about a year ago. So we've been, you know, slowly doing some updates and watching these two workers install carpet on stairs. Um, we also had new railing put up. And so they had to, the math that they did, you guys, it was crazy to watch them to measure, to make sure like that the, the steel, you know, uh, iron rods were the same distance apart and I mean it was so fascinating watching him do all the math that they did I was blown away and I was like I wouldn't have those math skills at all but they're blue-collar workers who are using math every single day in their job it yeah. is so fascinating and, and yet, they did it I'm sure they did it like it was nothing Just oh did it? it's, it's it, because that's all they do I mean the people who installed our, our new railing our new banister yeah I mean he, he does like three a week so he's yep. doing math every day he's calculating measuring I mean it was just so cool and I watched the carpet guys today I mean is they're like trying to figure out where to cut how to leave enough room yep. to fold it over the edges and they were measuring and you could just see them working and they were so like focused and I, I was just like this is just amazing to me and yet we don't value I mean in this country there isn't a lot of value placed on blue collar workers right That's and, why I and, love and how many my... yeah how many of those guys have math degrees how many of those not, guys not went to of not, them. Not, none I, of them not, they not learned had they learned the how job. to do on the job on right. the job training do you ever watch or I, I i don't even know if he sells a show you know mike Rowe? he's the guy that um Oh, uh, dirty jobs, dirty, dirty jobs. Yes, yes, Where, yes. And you know, I love him. I don't follow yeah. a lot of uh, uh -huh. famous people or celebrities or whatever on social media because I. He had a great not... quote. I saw. Is that what you're yeah. going to say? Yes. Yeah. He's yes. just he's so amazing because he always says, "Look, I'm sorry. The world needs carpenters, and the world yeah. needs plumbers, and yeah. the world needs electricians, and the world needs you know sewage workers, and the world needs trash collectors." He's and like, some of them we, make pretty good money. Uh, they can make very good money. Very good money. And yet. At, we live in the, and they say it over and over in this chapter, college ready, college ready. College, That's all we care yeah. about in school is we need yep. to make sure that every student college ready. Those were the words. Every student college ready. It's so ridiculous to think that every student is going to go to a four-year college. It is ridiculous. And remember in Finland, they said um, uh, the, um, what do they call it? Not not going to college, the other um What's I know the what other you're talking about. Track. I have it right here. Um, I have it right here. Uh, I know exactly. I, the word? I gotta find that diagram. 
it's I um I know exactly what you're talking about. I think about. of the word. I it's gonna, it's I gonna drive me. It's gonna drive me crazy too if I don't find uh, it. Vocational, vocational. Is that what so, it was? Yes. There's there's college track and then there's like vocational. Remember, and they said, and that's where you learn a skill, where you learn, you know, a voc when you take that vocational route. And in Finland, taking a vocational route is not frowned upon. It is not looked down upon. It is not as though you're considered less than somebody who is going to college. And I wish that yeah. we could get back to that here in the United States, where we valued um, people who work with their hands, where we valued people who make things, who create things, who have problem-solving skills. I mean, I just, I think it's just, uh, it's such a, tra a travesty what's happening in this country we have placed all of our eggs in one basket and said, if you're not college ready, you're, you're not successful, that you're a failure. And it's just too bad that that's where we're headed. And no matter what book we read, no matter what we're learning about, it's always the same pattern. Paul Tuff did all of his research on the grounds research. Yep. Was it academics? Was it good grades? Was it standardized test scores that, how, that makes children succeed? No, mm -hmm. it was executive functioning Function skills. skills. And, yep. then th and then this book right here talks about all these famous people. Talks about Jeff Bezos, who has mm -hmm. more money than anybody in the entire world. Mm -hmm. La Larry Page, Sergey Brin, Jimmy Wales, Sean P. Diddy Combs. <laughs> all these guys went to Montessori schools. Okay, Montessori emphasizes collaboration, yep. com communication, self-direction, risk-taking. There are, there are no grades or tests but teachers and other students give informed feedback. Yep. Kids Sounds take just the, like Finland, doesn't kids it? Kids take the lead in defining their goals, exploring passions, and learning about the world. It's an environment of discovery, of inquiry, of working on something for long blocks of time instead yep. of shifting gears every 45 minutes. Kids are encouraged <laughs> to take chances, fail, and iterate to an end goal of importance. That's right. So persistence, resiliency, we know how important it's those are. It's all executive functioning. It, it's and all it's executive yeah. functioning. Yeah. And it's yeah. learning through play. That is, it's all yeah. hands-on, project-based learning. And, and look and at child, all these- Child-led. Child-led. And, yeah. and th they even say here, uh, was it because your parents were college professors that made you successful? And every single person said no. It was because of my experience at Montessori schools. Isn't that something? Yeah. Um, on page, in continuing talking about math, on page 93, it says, um, a 2013 study found that the mathematics that most enables students to be successful in college courses is not mm -hmm. high school mathematics, but middle school mathematics, especially arithmetic, ratio, proportion, expressions, and simple equations. Um, and I love it at the bottom of 93. It says, today's smartphone has 10,000 times more computational power than a 1970 multi-million dollar supercomputer. So the point is, we have evolved so much since the slide rule and the calculator that came out in 1972. The first pocket calculator that came out um, cost $395 in 1972, that would be $2,250 today in today's money, right? Yeah. So I yeah. mean, look how far we've come. I mean, I was born in, in the 1970s, you guys. So, I mean, this is just insane to me to think that now we have these little smartphones that have 10,000 times more computational power. So if you need to, to do math, the point is, unless you're like an astronaut, I mean, they gave some crazy number that it's like point one percent of people need use calculus on a daily basis i i highlighted it somewhere oh here it is um five percent of all americans 
only 5% of all Americans ever use calculus on a regular basis. And we'd guess that most of them are actually calculus teachers. <laughs> I mean, you know, so the point is you can't get into college without calculus and they claim that it's the thing that's required for college admissions. And yet it's not functional. It's not something that most of us use on a daily basis. And we all have smartphones that can actually do more computation than our, our brains ever could. So unless you're an astronaut or an engineer or somebody who needs to do those equations quickly and you don't have access to technology, um, why are we spending so much time making kids hate math? Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of teaching the functional math skills that are actually necessary to survive in this world. So not only are we talking about how we're teaching obsolete information that are, is not going to be usable in real life, but we're, it's also what we're doing to these kids by teaching them this information. That having them to learn these, this comp, these complex math, Right. Complex English, complex science, all of these things. This is so anxiety producing uh, for these kids. I want to show this as you're talking. These are some of the forms. Unbelievable. Right. And you remember I, this is this give you nightmares, like I mean, like oh anxiety my. attacks, thinking about high school. Every math. single school I, I go into, whether it's a ADHD school or a, a really nice private school with high performing kids, every classroom I go into, kids are twitching in their chairs. Yep. arguing with each other, whipping their phone out, uh, <laughs> getting up and moving around. Uh, they're, they're all, they all have laptops now instead of paper and pen. There's always at least one or two kids playing coolmathgames.com in the middle of right, class. Right. There's always a couple of kids looking at YouTube. Uh, there's, there's other kids messing around with each other. I remember specifically when I was a kid in class, it was like, you know, school was so much more engaging. You know, it, you walk around into, into America's classrooms now and you see anxiety, mm -hmm. you see frustration, you see dysregulation, number yep. one, and you see just straight up boredom. You know, a big part of the presentations I did this week was talking about how kids today are growing up in an instant gratification world. And right. we have to parent differently and we have to teach differently because these kids are used to you know, fast. they're, they're, they're fast, they're fast. instant mm -hmm. gratification mm -hmm. and kids are not bored anymore. And when you're bored, you use your imagination right. and you get creative and yeah. kids today don't have experiences where they can do that. And that's, what's causing them to fall short. So when I'm reading a book like this and I'm reading this chapter, the biggest question that continually pops in my head is how much longer are we going to be able to trick these kids? Right. It's only a matter of time. Like, like, like they keep bringing up where kids say to them, am, am, am I ever going to use this? Am I ever going to use it? Uh, you'll need this for college. That's their, that's their answer. Yeah. Like what is eventually going to happen? Is there eventually going to be right. a nationwide, like, like the biggest thing that just drives me nuts is this is literally the most vulnerable population on the planet. We're literally talking about children here, okay? If, this, if these were workers, they can call a strike and they can get that mm -hmm. big, in, big, right. big, in, big inflatable rat to stand yep. outside yep. and they can do all yep. that stuff, you know? So there's, there's, there, people have rights when they get older. These are kids who don't really have rights. They are dependents. Right. And, right. And, and how much longer can we continually put, the, you know, they literally have a supercomputer in their pocket and yep. we're asking them to do complex math. And we're asking them to yep. do these things that are driving them crazy, 
giving them stre- giving them stress yep. and allow and not allowing them to go outside and explore yep. the world. What is it displacing? I mean, I still come back to that. You know, we're we're doing these things that are obsolete, that are archaic. And I love on page ninety six. I mean, these authors they just they don't pull any punches. They say if um. Okay, so in the last century, teenagers who were going to get their driver's license, they had to spend many hours drilling on shifting gears manually and parallel parking because these low-level skills used to be essential to driving a car. But guess what? Technology brought about automatic transmissions. And so the DMVs, they said, well, we no longer need to test kids on if they can use the stick shift, right? Because everything's automatic for the most part now. So we're just going to, we're going to get rid of that obsolete testing and teaching that, that used to be important because it's no longer relevant. And, and they even said now today, because so many cars can self-park, many DMVs are, are starting to eliminate parallel parking from the driver's Which blows well. my mind. I know. That, yeah. was the, that was the worst thing ever. Ever, ever, right? And so I love this. Listen to this. Are you all listening? Here it is. If our math educators designed our driving test, teenagers would still be required to memorize definitions about how to crank start a Model T. Oh I mean, that's God. how far behind we are, okay? So they go on to say, look, don't get us wrong about the need to drill on lower level math operations. Any adult needs to be able to use core operations, right, of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. You need to know what parentheses mean so you know what order. You know what I mean? We're not – Mike and I aren't suggesting we get rid of math altogether, and the authors are certainly not suggesting that. Adults need to deal with quantitative information. Um, They need to be able to do that confidently. But but just as we know adults will deal with basic operations daily, we know they will never have to solve the quadratic equation by hand. So they say – and I have this – underlined and starred, there's a world of difference between using something daily and never using it. And so why are we teaching skills that we never are going to use in our daily life? Okay. So um, what I love is, and it goes on, I want to talk about one more thing before we move away from math, but I love, and I can't think where it is, um, page maybe 10, oh, it starts on 98. And I'm like, they are so right. They said, if there's any kind of math we should encourage, it's statistics because statistics is actually really important um, because now you have to be able to, uh, they talk about it for like three pages. Um, Challenges um, that require thought and creativity, uh, encourage multiple innovative approaches, help kids understand the power of math. Um, And they talk about how statistics go hand in hand with other subjects, like social studies and statistics go hand in hand. But, um, oh, here it is. I know this is what I wanted to say. Being an informed, responsible citizen requires a sound knowledge of statistics, as politicians, reporters, and bloggers all rely on, quote, unquote, data to justify positions or encourage followers to support their positions. Being an effective scientist, being able to test hypotheses requires statistical expertise but the number of high school students taking the statistics exam um is is so much lower than those taking calculus so um you know they they go on to explain why why statistics is actually a really valid uh, form of math that helps us all be able to critically think and understand um data that's put in front of us but yet statistics isn't what we push in this country it's unbelievable that that uh, a couple of paragraphs about the DMV uh-huh. and how the DMV has changed. That really, <laughs> that really sparks. Doesn't that hit home? Yeah. The DMV, which is basically hell on earth, the worst has, place to the be. Worst you place have to go to the DMV in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they mm-hmm. are able to change what they do based yep. on the current climate 
but yeah. we can't we can't do that we for can't children figure it out. Yeah. so they can be successful. No wonder we have so many problems today and this country is so divided and yep. there's so many issues. It's because we are not properly teaching people to work together and to problem solve and to That's use right. their creativity and imaginations. It's really yeah. creating a massive disservice. And, and these, these authors, starting on page 99, they were even able to just very quickly come up with ideas oh, of, what can, of what can oh. replace. And they're amazing ideas. They are. And we're going to talk about that. But before we do, I love how there's boxes in this chapter of 20th yep. century skills and then 21st century skills. So for our listeners, I thought I'd just real quickly read the math skills needed to succeed in the 20th century. Are you ready? Memorization of low-level procedures, pattern recognition, ability to perform calculations by hand, speed, accuracy, and the ability to perform well under timed pressure. Then you go to page 101, the 21st century math skills that are needed to succeed. Deeply understanding the problem, structuring the problem, and representing it symbolically. Creative problem solving, pattern recognition to understand which math tools are relevant, uh, adept use of available computational resources, critical evaluation of first pass results, estimation, statistics, and decision making, taking chances, risking failure, and iterating to refine and perfect, synthesizing results, uh, presenting, communicating complex quantitative information, collaboration, and asking questions. I mean, I just, you know... We live in a different world, and our education system has not caught up with where we, where we are currently. And once again, what's the inherent problem with this list of 21st century skills? What's the inherent problem with them? What is the inherent problem? Oh, they're not easily measured. Not easily measured. There yeah, you that's go. The that's the inherent problem with everything. Because what it is. we are stuck in an educational, because there are so many, I call it red tape, but there's so much yeah, yeah. bureaucratic red tape in education that you can't just like do anything. Like to make changes, there's 95 layers of red yep. tape that you have to go through. So that's why we just are stuck in the past because nobody knows how to affect change. Nobody has any concept. I mean, the best our, our political parties can do is no child left behind and what's the Democrat solution? What was it called? Um, uh, 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 race to the top. Race to the race top. To the top right? Race to the so top was a mess. That's the best we can do. Okay, right yep. there. Um, yep. So they talk about math. Um, let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit about English. It starts on page 102, unless there was something else you wanted to talk about related to math. Was there anything else that you had highlighted? Basically, the biggest thing is with these 21st century skills, the biggest thing that we keep seeing is collaboration. And yes, you see a lot of, you see a lot of group work in today's classrooms and things like that. But think about it. True collaboration and true working togetherness is really lost in today's schools. Like I, all of the classroom observations I've been doing at all of the schools, think about it. Think of the teenagers you know today and the middle school and the high school age students you know today. Where do you see true collaboration? Yes, there's, yes, people have friends and they have social networks and these sorts of things, but are they truly collaborating? Are they truly problem solving together? You know, this collaboration is such a lost art. Uh, yep. and, and it's really formed in these formative years. You know, I remember in, the, in, the, in school, my schooling years, working with people that I wasn't naturally friends with and problem right. solving with them and, you know, doing uh, these fun projects with them before Race to the Top, before yep. No Child yep. Left Behind. Yep. Collaboration is a, the loss of, you had, once again, the amazing post that you had, 
play is is disappearing, mm-hmm. collaboration is is disappearing. Absolutely. So, Mike, here I'm going to read this example. I love this. You said how you know they, the authors give some ideas. So, on page 99, here are examples of challenges students could work on in a reimagined. I love that term, a reimagined math curriculum. And this is all about collaboration. Are you ready? Students individually or in small groups pick an organization they care about, set up a website and a Facebook page on behalf of the group, and create their own way to support the organization. They develop a plan to use social media cost-effectively to drive traffic to the site and translate it into support. They learn the math underlying optimal use of a social media budget. They create and assess a statistic reflecting campaign effectiveness. Okay, here's another one. Students working individually or in small groups use any available resource to come up with one or more ways to predict the world's population in the year 2100. They prepare and deliver a presentation describing their approach and engage in constructive dialogue with classmates about the merits of each approach. They learn what so few math students realize. Real math usually doesn't have one right answer. Students discuss and debate the implications of various predictions for the world the students will live in as adults. I mean, they, they, give it, they give two more examples. I mean, I love this. Like, this is what we need. We need to reimagine the math curriculum. We need to make it interesting and relevant and collaborative and functional, right? I mean, gosh, you guys. So, the, biggest thing, the biggest thing that popped into my mind when I read this is put yourself in the seat and the brain of a student. You're yep. a student sitting in class, and your teacher comes in and says, okay, we're going to have you guys make a website. We're going to have you guys right. make a Facebook page, drive traffic, and help local businesses. What is that student thinking in their head? They're oh, thinking, this is going to be awesome. Hell yeah. Yes, I'll that's do that. Right. I'll do that. I can't wait. Let's get started, right? Instead Here, of, I'm going to read. Yeah, I'm going to read another one. Each student identifies a few different places where he or she might live as an adult. How cool is this, Mike? To have somebody actually ask you where you'd like to live as an adult. Students estimate how much it will cost them to live in these locations when they are 30 years old. They estimate what minimum salary they need to earn to meet all expenses. Now they layer in amounts of debt in increments of $10,000 up to $250,000 and estimate what annual salary they would need to meet living and debt servicing expenses, paying down the debt over a certain period of time my oh, here's goodness. one about sports my Students, goodness i know individually or in small groups identify a sport or a hobby they enjoy and create one or more new statistics that would be uh, useful in predicting outcomes in that activity they create ways to assess the value of their newly created statistic then they make a presentation to the rest of the class on the approach and respond to questions holy crap i mean i, Th- I that one to- that one about identifying a few places to live I love this, it. Th- th- this is, it's, it blows my mind. And I feel like, like I, I like to believe that these authors came up with these ideas in like a split second. That's what like, I, I they this, did. Oh, yeah, I'm, it, I, I really I, feel like that's, that's probably who they are. If, yeah. if, if I went to school and my te- and we had a project like that to research places to live, yep. I could have saved myself from living in a few of the Can hell you holes imagine? I ended you know, up living in. My husband and I talk about this a lot. We're like, you know, I mean, I understand that you need to fail and, you know, and that helps you grow and you learn from your mistakes, but a little guidance would have been nice. Like, I mean, my my husband and I talk about how did we end up where we are? Like, I mean, we had no guidance. We just sort of were out there in the world and like, we didn't feel like we actually learned any life skills in school. I go back to, I have an autistic son who's in a life skills program. And I'm always like, why are every student should be learning life skills? Why do we think that that's just for kids who, um, you know, have a disability or have, you know, who are struggling learners like don't you think that every student every child needs life skills like to be able to figure out where you're going to live and if you want that certain lifestyle like 
how, how, how much it's going to, you know, cost you what you're going to have to make. My daughter just got engaged. And so she, oh, like, congratulations. oh, oh thank when, you. When, so when did this happen? Oh, just, just a week ago or 10 days ago. I don't even know. Is it this just chapter happened. chat breaking news people? Oh, did you, did anyone else know you. this? It's crazy. So my goodness. She, I know. So she calls me last <laughs> night. It's like, mom, I think we found a venue and blah, 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 blah. I go, okay, this is great. They're not getting married till 2023. So I'm not in any big, you know, two right now. But of course she's all excited. And I said, so let's talk money for a minute. She's like, oh, oh, you know, like, oh. <laughs> and I said, so here's your budget and you can spend it however you want. But that is what we're giving you. You know, that's what we're contributing. Uh -huh. And that's for the dress and that's for the flowers and the venue. She goes, oh, Oh, and you can just see her. And I'm like, see, now you're going to use some big girl skills because adulting is really important. This isn't a, a, a blank check where you can just go um, and do whatever you want. So it was really interesting to, to just hear the, the change in her voice when I said, here's your budget. She was like, oh, like, okay, well, then maybe I need to rethink that venue. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> How amazing would that be for, for a, uh, like, for example, yeah, Sen yeah. Seniors Playing in high school. Yeah, Playing seniors in high school mm -hmm. need to plan and budget the senior prom. Oh, the senior. Where, oh, see there where, you go. Where is the prom? Yep. How much yep. is the limo? How and much I'm is sure student council does that with the help of the student council teacher mm -hmm. or whatever. But, but do it in the why classroom. Couldn't that be, yeah, why couldn't that be a classroom? Why don't? Yeah. And then can you imagine all the different venues that people would find? Because if it was actually um, a, an assignment that was required, you would go all out, but not everybody wants to be on student council, right? But oh my gosh, if that was in the math class, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that gets me excited. What, listeners, what do you think? I mean, is this exciting for you guys to think about reimagining math to a point where students are doing things in school, in class that are relevant, that are meaningful, that are functional, and that are going to build life skills that will help them in the future? Like, does anybody else think that's like cool? Because I'm just kind of in awe of. And these. how exciting is it that your daughter is engaged? Oh, how amazing! I, it's crazy. That is so I don't even great. know. It just makes me feel old. I don't even know. It's good. <laughs> Thank goodness we love her fiance. Um, he lived with us the entire time we were on lockdown during the pandemic, so we know he's a lovely, lovely human being, and I will be thrilled to call him my son-in-law. So um, we are we are very excited about it. But of course, being the mother of the bride, you know, it's like money, 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 money. Of course, you know? <laughs> of course. But this, it's, it's just this, all of these ideas, think about it. All you people, all everyone out here in the chapter chat community, when you're reading these ideas on page 99 and 100, when you're reading these, don't you just wish that your child went to a school that did yeah, this? That had a Is teacher it, that was that creative. Don't you want your don't you want your taxpayer dollars to go towards a school that does this? Yep. Instead of literally your taxpayer dollars, all that money you're paying in taxes every year goes towards funneling your child's anxiety and your yep. child's stress. Yep. Think of yep. all the th and how, putting the, money yeah. in the test makers' pockets. You exactly. know, these these big billion dollar companies that decide what our kids are going to learn and um, how they're going to learn it, and then what are they not learning, right? And that's what I keep going back to: is what are kids not doing? What are they not learning because they're rote memorizing useless information for standardized tests. So, oh, I love this. How about teaching kids how to budget money and how credit cards work? Because, oh yeah, goodness. if you don't have a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle who teaches you about that, think how easy it is to get a credit card today. I mean, think how easy it would be to just get into ridiculous debt. How about this? 
pick what school. What, oh, you want to go to college? Great. Why don't you pick which college and figure out what the tuition is, room and board, and you know what the likelihood you're going to get scholarships or whatever. Figure that out because yeah. so many yeah. kids are coming out of college um, with $150,000 in debt and they're not even employable. Nobody can, they can't get a job because they don't have any experience and their skills aren't, you know, anything that's even um, uh, desirable. So I don't know. I just feel like there's so much we could be teaching students that's very relevant to math and, and English and, um, uh, you know, uh, writing. And I think next week we'll go into, because since we're SLPs, to me, the next two sections oh my are so powerful because yep. then there's like 40 pages left in this chapter. But um, it's all about reading and writing, which we know um, are extensions of spoken language, right? So absolutely. Um, here, hold on one second. Hey, Jim, the dogs need out. Can you help? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> They're over here like just scratching like crazy. <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. So um hopefully for the podcast they can edit that out. <laughs> no, 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 that's staying. That's staying. <laughs> that's staying. That's real life, right? And 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 in the in the presentations that I did, I in the parent training I did mm -hmm. specifically, I really, really, you know, I, I spoke with the teachers beforehand because I always uh -huh. want to tailor the presentation right. towards that community. Sure. And one of the biggest pieces of stress is homework. So parents are always calling the school and getting into arguments with supervisors and teachers. Hey, there, there we go. <laughs> and always, you know, uh, getting in arguments over what's the homework? Was it posted here or was it in the agenda? My son forgot his books. Why is he forgetting books? Mm -hmm. And all of these fights and arguments and dysregulation in the home because of homework. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, the homework myth, the famous mm -hmm. book that you always pull out. Yes, you know, there it is. <laughs> homework, the, the, and I had an entire slide, and this is the thing that really made parents go back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh -huh. And then the, after I explained it, they sort of started to understand. So homework in and of itself is never worth stress in your home. If homework is a source of dysregulation for your child, if mm -hmm. it's a constant source of fighting for yep. you and your child, that's it. You step back, you talk to the school, and you figure something out with them. Homework in, I don't care if it's ADHD, I don't care what it is, mm -hmm. homework cannot be something that turns your home into a Upside toxic down. environment, right. period. Because right. homework is not in any way, shape, or form, homework output, homework completion is not uh, a predictor of future success That's in right. any it's way, shape, or form. Work. It's busy exactly. work. And in the homework myth, the book that I always reference every single, uh, every single week, um, you know, he, the author does say that when you're like learning spelling words and learning like math facts, like addition, subtraction, multiplication, that actually doing homework, like worksheets for those things where it's highly repetitive is actually important for building those rapid, you know, math computation skills and things like that. But other than that, there's been really little uh, to no evidence that says homework serves any purpose. No purpose. Uh, again, it's, it's busy work. It's busy work. So, yeah. I mean, and I know I, if you listen every week, I'm sure you get tired of me repeating myself over and over, but I just always go back to when, cause we homeschooled our kids for a great majority of their, um, of their years um, in school. And uh, the reason was because my kids were, my two daughters, they were quite bored in school. And so um, uh, they were getting in trouble for reading, like in the classroom, you know, and I, they were like, but we were done with our work and we're bored. So we don't know what to do. So anyways, um, uh, you know, they would send home all this homework. And so, my whole thing was, I don't understand. You have them for eight hours 
and they come home with three hours of homework. I don't understand what they're doing in those eight hours. I just don't understand what they're doing. Makes that no they sense. need to come home. Students, children today, my biggest concern when we talk about mental health is that children today of all ages, starting when they're toddlers, are leading adult-paced lives. Yep. So if you yep. go to daycare 40 hours a week, you're actually there at least 45 because your parents have to you know, get to work on time. So they pick you up and drop you off. So you're at work. So your full-time job is now 45 to 50 hours a week. And then you have to come home as a toddler and you have to go to dance class and gymnastics and you have to play little league t-ball and, and, and itty bitty soccer. And, you know, you have to do all these things and it just gets worse and worse. And then we want to pile on homework. So now in kindergarten, you know, kindergartners bring home a packet of homework on Monday that has to be turned in on Friday. So poor kindergartners are going to school. These are five-year-old babies are going to school all day long, right? With very little to no recess. And then they're going to come home and do what? Not play outside, not ride their bike, not make brownies mm. with their parent. No, they're going to sit down and do more busy work. It's just not logical what we're doing. And I just wish I understood the why behind all the busy work. What I want to know is when did this shift happen? When did the American family feel that it is a necessity to constantly have our kids overscheduled? Yeah. When, did, when did this oh. happen? I don't know when, but I will tell you, it, I mean, I was never overscheduled as a child. No. I always talk about, so when summer vacation, if you're old enough, if you're, even maybe Mike, I mean, I know we're, we're not very close in age, but um, when I was a kid, summer vacation was three months of just glorious, yep. blissful, child-directed yep. nothingness. And so all we did was play outside, ride our bikes, build forts, play games, play T-ball. You know, I mean, we just, it was all child-directed. It was all, we woke up earlier in the summer until we were in high school. We woke up earlier in the summer than we did during the school year because we couldn't wait to go outside and play with our friends. So um, there is an amazing book. And again, it's probably one that I've referenced more than once, um, but it is called The... Um, um, see, I hate when I'm trying to look, I can't look and talk. Oh, here it is at the same time by Dr. David Elkin, the hurried child. Oh yeah. If you have never read oh, the hurried yeah. child. This really outlines, um, when this whole thing started, this book is, I mean, it's a little bit older. Yeah. I mean, it, it came out in 1981 and then it's been updated three times since then. So this is the 2001 version. So I'm just telling you that it was in about the eighties or the nineties when we all of a sudden decided, Oh my gosh, kids must be productively scheduled. If kids aren't productively scheduled, then you are a bad parent. That has to and stop. so we intentionally did not overschedule our children. Um, when we homeschooled our kids, they were allowed to play one sport and play one musical instrument. And other than that, we valued family time. We insisted on family time. Yep. And um, I, I think that, you know, we could get into a whole issue of where, you know, families are not even valued anymore. I mean, the only thing that's valued is rote busy work and kids being overscheduled. So, I mean, we yeah. have um, a lot of things that have changed. Um, but I think next week uh, when we talk about the second half of this chapter where we talk about English and reading and writing and foreign language, um, I'm excited because that just really fits into our wheelhouse as speech language pathologists. This is, yeah, the, the I, I think we may have to do multiple episodes on, on, just, this, <laughs> on just this English chapter. I know. Because this is, you know, literacy is near and dear to my heart. And literacy, literacy is hand in hand with executive functioning. Absolutely. It's, it, that's you can't it. separate them. You, you can't separate them. them. It's the exact same thing. And how crazy thing. is this? As an early intervention provider, I always say you can't separate play and language. Like play and language develop 
hand in hand. So you mm -hmm. can't have, if you have, you know, strong play skills, you, you're going to develop strong language skills. Like those things go hand in hand with each other. And so to think and that executive that functioning is yeah. play. Executive yeah, so. functioning is a fancy word for mental play, period. Mental play. That's, that's yeah. all it is. So play and language are hand in hand. Yep. Executive yep. function, executive functioning is People like to describe it as, oh, the, the boss of the brain right. or, oh, or yeah. the, the, the brain executive, the air traffic, traffic controller. Yep. It's yep. mental yep. play. It's the ability to do mental play. Okay. What I want to end on, Mike, because it is eight o'clock, is I just, and, and this is one of my, my favorite quotes. I, I'm taking it from my, from my seminar that I, uh, my webinar that I just did. But I love this little equation, language plus experience equals learning. And I think that's really important because when we think about those um, reimagined math assignments, you know, that we just talked about that the authors gave us. The reason those were so effective is because it was language plus experience. When you look at how we're currently doing our curriculum, it's a lot of language, right? We understand that the language is there. They're reading and they're writing and the language is there. But what is missing is the experience, um, whether you call it project-based learning. I mean, I just think the simple term is experience. And what I learned from Mike, and it's now one of my preferred terms, is varied experiences. And the go. way that we develop um, mental flexibility, you can also call it cognitive flexibility, but the way that we develop that is by having a multitude of varied experiences. And so if we really want to look at, because I had posed the question a few weeks ago, what is the purpose of education? And I I'm always thinking about that. I mean, for me specifically, professionally, I'm thinking of what is the purpose of early childhood education because mm -hmm. I'm an early childhood um, uh, SLP. But when I think about what is the purpose of education, somebody, one of the listeners actually typed it earlier that we need to be teaching them to think. And I think we, we would agree with that, Mike, right? Thinking, teaching students, children to critically think, to analyze, right? That those are going to be really important uh, uh, skills. But I think that we have to recognize how to do that is yes. by adding varied experiences to the language. Our, our curriculum is rich in language, no doubt about it, right? No doubt about it. Kids are memorizing, rote memorizing. We have textbooks and we have, you know, all of that. But what's missing is the experiences. So if we could somehow figure out how to add the experiences and make learning functional, I bet you we'd be like Finland and have students who actually enjoyed learning. There you go. And, and what comes... And when you have, so language and experience equals learning. So language and experience equals growth and maturity. But yep. what, what also comes from language and experience? Relationships. Oh. And that's what it is. It varied experiences and interpersonal relationships. I love it. When you have, when you have an, an individual, a child uh, who was within these formative years of K to 12, mm -hmm. who has language experience varied experiences mm -hmm. and interpersonal relationships there's a very you have a very strong bet that child has is going to skills. that child succeed, is right? going to succeed and because there you, you have it and two of and, our and, books that we've read have the yep. word succeed in the in the chapter because and did i mention math and yeah no you yeah. didn't mention calculus experience or, i didn't right. didn't mention any of those things mm -mm. a child that has the ability to partake in varied experiences without breaking down Right. And has the ability to maintain multiple interpersonal relationships. 
Right. That's or how about a this? successful child. This is another skill that I think of as part of executive function is learning how to self-advocate, you know, and being able oh, to yeah. say, I need help with that, or I'm not yep. sure what to do, you know, not yep. melting down and crying and saying, I hate math. I'm stupid. Yep. I'm no good at math. That's not self-advocating, yep. right? So um, I just, I think there is so much um, to be done. And Mike, I just have to give you a little update and then we'll be done. Remember last week I told you that uh, school district in Wyoming had asked me to potentially yes. come in and start um, trying to reimagine their special education department, if you will. So uh -huh. the uh, um, superintendent of, in of curriculum is the one who had contacted me. And I had his, an hour long Zoom meeting with him. And, you know, of course, I was trying not to get overly excited. But, you know, <laughs> and he's like this super calm guy in a suit, you know, very composed. And I'm like, so here's what I'm thinking, you know. So I was like trying to rein it in a little bit. But he um, said at the, you know, after our, our hour long conversation, he's like, I'm going to take this to my superintendent. I'm going to propose, you know, that we hire you as a consultant, blah, blah, blah. So he emailed me Monday and said, my initial meeting with the superintendent and the school board went very well. And now I am taking it to the special education director and I will be in touch for future plans or something so I'm this like, is a special thursday episode of breaking it? news people yes breaking so news so love exciting. it that's so, that's that's incredible so that's i will incredible. keep you posted and um yeah it's kind of it's kind of fun stuff so between a daughter getting married got new carpet laid today you know, I know <laughs> yep, it's, just, yep. uh, it's just a wild and crazy life we lead so it's amazing and it i, is, I and, and i'm so excited next week we'll finish this chapter yes we'll be uh, back on monday okay it, Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, all, all you parents out there who are reading this, you uh, uh, speech and language pathologists, other clinicians, learn reading this, you know, there, there's common themes. Yeah. And it's the executive functioning. And it's the true skills that are predictors of success. It really and is. And they're the non-academic skills. The non and that's a term that I use when I talk to parents because I want them to understand that we all focus on academic skills. Nobody is suggesting we, su we shouldn't focus on academic skills. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is there are non-academic skills that lay the foundation. They're learning to learn behaviors, learning to learn skills that those, and even though none of these authors call them executive functioning skills, that's exactly what they're talking about. Okay. We used every, to call every them soft time. skills, right? Soft skills, things like that. They're EFs, right? They're executive yeah. function. So it has helped me tremendously. And like I said, Mike, you've even got my husband pumped up because yeah. he's all about EFs now. And there you go. we just sit around our house and talk about executive function all the time. So Hey, half the world still thinks executive functioning is having a clean backpack. So, you know, <laughs> always oh, being the, able to just organize your backpack, organizing right? your backpack mm -hmm. and all these non-certified executive function right. coaches right. out there who oh. will, who will clean your backpack and clean your folder and say, Oh, I'll sit with your child and I'll hold them accountable and I'll help uh -huh. them work. So That's basically, so basically, yeah. you know, not building internal skills, That's which is right. the whole point of from external to internal. To internal. So yep. we, so what, what do we want? We want our children to be able to be successful in varied experiences. Independently, we, right? Independently. Mm -hmm. And we want them to independently be able to maintain social relationships. Ugh. Simple as that. And that is executive functioning. Not yeah. backpacks and binders, because you can that's be very right. messy. You can be very messy and very and successful. And still have. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. It's so exciting. So 
Um, the other thing, and I know I promise we're going to be done. This will be the last thing I say. But the <laughs> thing that is interesting to me that with independence and when we talk about like some of those reimagined math assignments, like creating a Facebook page and all that, I think what will come naturally to students that we don't see a lot now is autonomy is that mm. self-motivation to want to do better. So instead of having to dangle the carrot and say, oh, do good so I can give you an A, because if you get an A, you might get into college. Like, you know, we try to use these extrinsic reinforcers. I think moving toward autonomy is yeah. just as important as independence. That autonomy of being like, I'm going to do this because this means something to me, because I'm helping a charity or because I'm going to help our school have the best prom they've ever had or whatever the assignment is. And I think when it starts coming through internal motivation, which which is why allowing students to direct their own learning to some degree allows them to focus on their interests and their passions. And when you're passionate and you're curious and you're interested, you have the motivation, the self-motivation to learn. And I think that's what's missing in education. There isn't and that's exactly that. what that's exactly what Finland does. Yep, Finland exactly. has student autonomy and student yep. choice. And yep. then what and what's the end result? What does that trickle down into? students choosing to extend school right. longer than what's expected of them. Right. They take more, more classes, more hours than they need to, to graduate because they love learning. I so. told one of my students, I was in a session with a student today and mm -hmm. we, and, and we were talking about the school she used to be in and the school mm -hmm. she's in, in now. And I said to her, I said, do you know students in Finland end up taking more classes than they're supposed to? And she was literally like, what? Why would they do that? Like, why mm -hmm. would they do that? Because mm -hmm. of student, because of autonomy. Because they have they, autonomy. They love it. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So that it's kind of like as an SLP, I take more CEUs than I need to maintain my license, right? Like, I mean, I have to have mm -hmm. so many hours for my state license and for my ASHA renewal, but I always have more. And it's, it's just because I love learning because I want to continue to learn. So I have that autonomy that I don't know that I had in high school, you know, cause I don't remember. I mean, you know, so it's just interesting that when you're passionate about what you're learning, then you love to learn. And exactly. I think if we can bring that passion back um, and start focusing on student interests and preferences and the things that mean something to them. Wow. Think, imagine, I, I mean, I love Let's, the idea of reimagined education. CEUs are one thing and you can pick and choose what you're doing and they're run mm -hmm. by passionate people who are mm -hmm. specialists. But, I, but I tell you in grad school, when I finished that last final, I was not going back done. for more. I That's was right. Done, 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 not Outta looking here. back. Haven't been on campus since. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I agree. But now I love learning the way I learn and picking and choosing and directing my own learning. Right, Mike? Didn't, directing. Didn't, didn't, didn't you go back to your alma mater as well? I did. I spoke yeah. um, for, at the University of Iowa for the Iowa Speech and Hearing Conference. So I was back on campus and, oh, my gosh, I found my favorite bar. I couldn't believe it was still there. Wow. Um, yeah, it has changed so much. I hardly recognized it. And the students just, I mean, everything about it was just it was different. It was faster paced. There was so much like construction and building. I just remembered it being more low key when I was oh, there. So, Iowa's, you know, Iowa's a powerhouse these days. Iowa is a my powerhouse. My goodness, that, that football yeah. team, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's fun, fun, fun. <laughs> All right, Mike, we're going to wrap this one up. So next Monday, that's only like, what, three days, four days away. So we're going to be talking again very Couldn't soon. Couldn't come sooner. I know. So we will finish chapter four. If you are following along, our book is most likely to succeed. And we are halfway through chapter four, so we will continue on. And I hope, Mike, I hope you and your lovely wife and your beautiful daughter have a, a wonderful weekend. And my husband and me and my daughters and my son, we are all going to NASCAR. Oh, okay. All right. Not really That's... into noise, 
But this is what, during the pandemic, our family learned to love NASCAR because we okay. have other sports to watch. So my okay. son, um, Aaron, has just really taken to NASCAR. So now we're NASCAR hey. fans. Honor, passion, wherever you find it. That's exactly right. So, <laughs> all right. Go. It was so good to see you, Mike. You take care. And um, to all our listeners, we will see you next week. Okay? Love you, listeners. Everybody yes. who comes live, everybody on Spotify, everyone on the podcasts. You guys are amazing. And you guys yep. are the reason we're doing this. Yep. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. See you guys soon.